Uh, hey everyone, before we get into this week's episode, I just wanted to take a moment to acknowledge the shooting that happened at the University of Virginia this past weekend. Both Rob and I are from the Northern Virginia area, and as such, we know a lot of people who attend UVA. Um, both of our hearts go out to all the students and all the faculty and everyone who is affected by this tragedy. And, you know, just, there's not a lot I can say to offer as consolation, but, you know, stay together, love each other, we are stronger together in times like these, and, yeah, we just wanted to say our hearts go out to everyone who's involved, and, yeah. I'm Rob. I'm Joy. And you're listening to Key Light. So, this week, we're talking about The Rehearsal, Nathan Fielder's new show on HBO Max. This show, I think, is what happens when you give an anxiety-ridden film major a lot of money to make a show instead of therapy. <laughs> yeah, this is um, it's a very unique show. The Rehearsal, to me, is a one-of-a-kind show that pushes the boundaries of what is real and what is made up, all in the most ordinary and intimate of settings. But it's also pushing the boundaries of what TV means as a medium. So what's up with this show, really? First off, it's hard to define. Is it a comedy? Is it a documentary? Maybe it's a mockumentary? Or maybe it's just a drama, you know, it fits in that bigger category. What it is, is that it's definitely the most uncomfortable I've ever been while watching a show. <laughs> it blurs the lines between fiction and reality. And as far as Fielder himself has stated, only his narrations are scripted. Everything else is just off the cuff, on the fly. Some of the actors have even expressed disappointment with how they were portrayed. <laughs> Robin. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, don't love Robin. But it's this realism, this off-the-cuff nature, that adds another layer to the rehearsal's complexity. It's what makes the show so unique, a sense of ordinariness that draws us in as an audience and keeps us wrapped up in the show's world. The main device Nathan uses to create this ordinariness is a feeling he borrows from his previous work on Nathan For You, awkwardness. Let's look at the first scene of the show between him and Core. Even after rehearsing the conversation, purportedly dozens of times, Nathan still comes out as uncomfortable and clumsy with other people. Yeah, that opening door city joke, I've heard better even without rehearsals. Yeah, to be sure. It's, it's a little bit dramatized for TV, of course. That's not how Nathan acts in the real world. But you're lying if you say you didn't relate to at least some of the awkward interactions that Nathan has. But by making himself vulnerable, by displaying these unsure, split-second moments of a conversation that usually aren't in TV, Fielder gets our attention through the parts of human interaction that are both unpleasant and super common. Like I said, when you compare it to other screen media, where the dialogue flows without pauses or confusion, the rehearsal feels even more realistic. Where else have you watched a show that is so intimate and relatable, a show that touches on the human experience so accurately like this one? That awkwardness is important to creating a strong sense of reality, which is in turn important for a second critical aspect of the show, blurring that line between fiction and the real world. I think this quiet blurring between fiction and reality is what really makes the rehearsal stand out so much compared to other shows, even shows that um, Fielder himself has made before. As the show progresses, you see Nathan slowly begin to lose himself in the rehearsals, using that elaborate scheme to make his client, Patrick, feel something as close to the real motion of the situation as possible. Episode four is really just a turning point as Nathan throws himself fully into this rehearsal of being Thomas and then co-parenting full-time with Angela. It's bizarre, but also it really flows into this progression of his character almost. Yeah, 
we realize as we go farther through the show that it's not about the clients. It's really all about Nathan. And what he's doing here is taking the common human experience of worrying about what others think of you to the farthest possible extreme. I mean, we all spend time replaying moments back in our head, you know, trying to change things in the scenario so that we can have a better outcome. But we can't change the past, so our efforts are ultimately pointless, as we all know. Nathan, though, is just too deep in the worry to realize that. In the back half of the show, he's obsessed with figuring out what he could have done better. With Thomas, with Angela, and with Remy. And let's note that these aren't rehearsals anymore. Those were to prepare for the future. These twisted replays are for Nathan to feel better about himself. Because in the fictional world, he can try again and again until he feels something real. The way he thinks he should have felt the first time. It's almost a bit of cognitive dissonance because it's so bizarre to watch someone go through the motions of feeling something and then practicing those emotions. And then you have those moments where you can tell Nathan is finally feeling how he's supposed to feel and it knocks both Nathan and us as in the audience off our feet, so to speak. I think the most prominent example of this is that scene in episode five where the actor pretending to be Angela just like really tears into him, telling him that nothing about him is real and the whole reason behind his rehearsals is to just let him feel something because he can't feel anything otherwise. Because if this were real, you would have some sort of emotion instead of standing there like a rock. Do you want to feel something? Do you want to feel something real? Yeah. That's sad. You never will. No matter how hard you try, you never will. To Nathan, the rehearsal is his own personal quest as well to figure out what's wrong with him. Why can't he feel the way he's supposed to feel? Why doesn't he understand why other people do the things that they do? So he rehearses and he rehearses, and then the scene comes up, and then there's that one fleeting moment where he feels exactly the way he's supposed to, reacting genuinely to the words being said to him in the moment. This scene embodies Nathan as a character perfectly. Or maybe Nathan is a person. We're not sure. I don't think he even knows. And as much as this is a pivotal scene for Nathan in the show, it's also a perfect blurring of the lines between fiction and reality. Is he feeling this emotional pain as real Nathan or as pretend Nathan? Who knows? And then the moment is shattered as he dives back into the rehearsal or real life or just overanalyzing. Now, don't get me wrong. Those techniques that he uses to blur the line between fiction and reality, the whole idea of a rehearsal in the first place is super interesting and it makes for great TV. And in some sense, the rehearsals might actually be productive for people with these situations. I mean, we can see that Core ended up resolving his problem in the end. But there's no substitute for real life. There isn't any way you can fully prepare for it. But that's exactly what makes life so interesting. The randomness, the surprises, the unexpected. Nathan even acknowledges this in episode six when he visits Remy for the first time. Every object was perfectly placed, but nothing was by design. It was a work of art and it was just real life. And it's fascinating how, as the show progresses, Nathan goes further and further and tries to cover every possible factor, plan for every possibility, but ultimately still fails because life throws things at him that he never could have planned for. There's a saying, you don't know what you don't know, a way of acknowledging that there's a whole wealth of knowledge and possibility out there that you aren't even aware that you aren't aware of. I think of it often when I look at homework that my engineering friends are doing, but in the case of the rehearsal, Nathan tries to plan for every possibility, but it's impossible because life is impossible to fully plan for. 
And the deeper you dive, the more unexpected things you'll find. Yeah, and that's also part of what makes this show so great. It's not just a bizarre look into someone's social experiment. It's an insight into what it's like to be just an ordinary human being. And as someone who's personally working through a nasty habit of overthinking and letting my anxieties run wild, I think the show also serves as a bit of a warning to what anxiety and a lack of self-understanding can do to a person. Being human, especially in the modern day and age, is a stressful and anxiety-inducing thing, and it's so painfully human to want to go through every extreme to alleviate those anxieties. But I think the show does a good job of portraying the fact that the more you try to structure your life to alleviate those anxieties, the more anxiety you're going to find. And as for Nathan himself, I would recommend a therapist. All right, now we're moving into our cultural impact section. Nathan Fielder is someone who has a strong reputation with his previous show, Nathan For You. I didn't know about it previously before I watched the rehearsal, but a lot of my friends actually did, and they know him for Nathan For You, not for the rehearsal. And this is a little bit um, of a silly show. It's more focused on the aspect of making people awkward and trying to figure out how to elicit genuine responses from people when they're caught off guard. But the ending of Nathan For You, the finale, is a little bit more serious than the rest of the show. It has an overarching plot and it extends the idea of the rehearsal. It's the initial seed of the rehearsal that Nathan begins using in his next show. Now, there are two articles that I'll uh, link in the description. There's a Vox article and a Vulture profiler on Nathan Fielder. And these are both really interesting uh, reads that I'm going to draw a lot of ideas from. So with TV, I think it's really easy to objectify characters and settings and stereotypes in simple ways. Even for a really critically acclaimed show, like, for example, The Sopranos, I have fun predicting and usually getting those predictions correct, what the characters are going to do, how they're going to feel after you get to know them for maybe like a few episodes or so. But real people in the real world aren't like that. They're not predictable. They're going to surprise you. And the rehearsal does this perfectly of showing us how people, just when we think we know everything about them, surprise us again and again, how people will have contradictions within every single one of them within each of us. We all have contradictions. Now, the fact that this show is so unpredictable by itself is another huge landmark for the TV landscape. Dramatic TV, game shows, reality TV, documentaries, comedies, they all have been around long enough for us to recognize their patterns a little bit. This show is in the emerging field of reality comedy, so to speak, and it's a little bit more unpredictable, which makes it so confusing and therefore enticing. We can't figure out the characters like we're able to usually do, which is just cool, you know? It's novel for TV. I think the new golden standard in my mind for what makes great TV is when people aren't just saying, it was so good, you gotta watch it, but they're saying, it was so confusing, but I still love it. The fact that a show is able to make you think and able to keep your brain really interested is what displays that the show has a quality that hints at something deeper in the human experience. And I think the rehearsal is one of the perfect examples of that kind of show. But the one part about this show that a lot of discourse has been generated over, especially when it came out earlier this year, is the ethics. 
And as much as I love this show, I think it's a great piece of TV and it's pushing the boundaries of the genre. These are real people and yeah, they signed up for this. And no, it's not as bad as maybe reality TV where they have absolutely no editorial control. But Angela gets caught going off script, Robin fighting with his roommate, Core being manipulated into telling Nathan personal stuff about his marriage. Is all of that really okay to do to normal people? On the one hand, it is necessary to, for the show to make the insights and to paint the picture of the human experience that it does. But on the other hand, man, poor Remy, a six-year-old getting manipulated? It's a great part of the show to watch and to think about removed from the real world, but he's a real kid, and he got accidentally manipulated by that Nathan was, Fielder. That was so weird to watch, because I didn't realize that not all of it was scripted. Like, I thought it was scripted for the first episode. I genuinely thought it was like a mockumentary-style show, and then um, I think you texted me or like you sent me an article or something like that, and I was like, oh, only the narration is scripted? Oh, that's that's a little messed up what he's doing to these people. Mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. even if they sign a release form, that's still, like, ethically speaking, in a gray zone that I'm not sure I'm comfortable watching. I mean, I was already uncomfortable, but this it made it more uncomfortable. And um, in my own research, um, just thinking about the cultural impact, um, by that I mean a quick Google search I did at 1 a.m. last night, <laughs> I learned that Elon Musk is obsessed with Nathan Fielder. Elon Musk, as you all know, recently purchased Twitter after a long drawn out legal battle. And I think this is quite possibly one of the funniest things I could have learned about Nathan Fielder, the rehearsal, and Elon Musk. Because who cares about Robin and his Scion TC when I now know that Elon Musk, one of the few men on this planet that I would feel no remorse for brutally murdering, is obsessed with this <laughs> weird Canadian comedian who HBO gave a ton of money to, to essentially conduct a massive social experiment. Bizarre, but it's just like the show. I think it's so perfectly fitting. You're right. You're right. Yeah, that, that's my thoughts. And I mean, this show, like, I feel like I said it all earlier. It's just like, it's a warning to what happens when... You're, you let your anxieties run wild. But I think it, it serves as a broader warning in that maybe don't give a very anxiety-ridden person a ton of money to learn things. That's what, like I said before, that's what therapy is for. Don't conduct a massive social experiment because you're socially anxious. Yeah, there are some lessons to the show. And then I think there are also some meta lessons maybe for HBO. But it has already been renewed for a second season. And so it not like also, we can stop it. It was also very popular. So I'm not really sure what that says about us as a consumer society. But we also eat up reality TV. So I don't know. Sure. Why not? We're all horrible people anyway. At least it's, you know, a little bit different than regular uh, reality TV. Yeah. At least there's something to learn here. Good. Go outside and touch grass. That's the lesson. Yes, please do. All right. Your favorite section, Song of the Week. Um, I went to the Joji concert like a month ago, two weeks ago. No, it was two it's, weeks ago. It's been a minute. It's been a while. Oh, it's I been mean, a not long, a while, but it's, it's a couple been a weeks, long few weeks. Two, three weeks. Uh, Roadrunner venue in Boston, not good. We hate Roadrunner. <laughs> we hate Roadrunner in this house. But, I hate Roadrunner because it's canceled two of my concerts. Oh, damn. I mean, they didn't cancel it. The artist canceled both of the artists. Um, I was supposed to see Arlo Parks in September, um, but then she canceled it. And then Rina Samayama, I was supposed to see her last oh, Friday. Oh, really? But then she pushed it to December. So. Oh, man. But Those yeah, are, would have been good. I am anti-Roadrunner because it's so hard to get there without a car. It is so hard to get it's there. so hard to and get there. And biking back is like, I, I don't even want to talk about it. Anyway, just Boston things. Anyways, anyways. 
Joji at the concert, and he just released an album. So my song of the week is Die For You by Joji. I think that's the best one on the album. Okay. I haven't listened to it, but I'll add it to the list. Go listen. The the ever-growing list. <laughs> All right. My song of the week is House of the Rising Sun by The Animals, specifically the Ashley Johnson cover. If y'all don't know who Ashley Johnson is, mm-hmm. she is the voice of Ellie in The Last of Us. She was in Blindspot. She's done voice acting for a million different things. Oh, okay. Um, and if you're into Dungeons & Dragons, she plays Pike, Yasha, and now Fern on Critical Role. Anyway, that's all. So yeah, that's all for us this week. And scene. Peace, guys. This episode was written by Joy Gu and Rob Pereira. Also edited by Joy Gu and produced and mixed by Rob Pereira. Special thanks to the BU School of Communication for their studio and to Northeastern University. You can find Keylight on all podcasting platforms, and make sure to be notified of new episodes by following our Instagram and Twitter accounts, both at KeylightPod. Thanks.